Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with instant analysis of NXT TakeOver in your house on your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back just minutes after the latest NXT TakeOver in your house went off the air Sunday night, and we are here to break down everything that happened on NXT's latest special event. We're going to talk about the storylines, the matches. We're going to look back at our predictions, the results, and what it all means for NXT going forward. We do not waste time on these instant analyses. We jump right into it off the jump. So as always, folks, a very quick reminder of what we're about here. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. In other words, go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Leave us those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, the meat of the show, if you would, I have to bring in my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini, to break everything down with me. And Chris, the way we get things started on Instant Analysis Podcast is not in the main event. It's by cracking open a cold one. And the Silver King is rocking today because I got a special, I don't want to call it an NXT beer, but this is a brewery very, very close to the Capitol Wrestling Center, the WWE Performance Center. It is Ravenous Pig in Winter Park, Florida, and I'm drinking the Foxtail Coffee Ale. I love coffee beers, and this one sounds incredible, so I'm very excited to get into this. What do you have with you tonight? Coffee beer. I'm not I'm not a big fan of those. That's interesting. I don't favorites. I, uh, Love them. Yeah, well, it's good. I have a peach blonde from Parker County Brewing in Texas. Nice. So I got another Texas beer here. Had it uh, over the weekend. Got some more, and it's really good. We're both Shout staying local. Parker I, County. I like that we we're staying local with the beer. Have you uh, – Shiner is in Texas, obviously, very huge brewery. Have you ever been there? I have not. I, I'm not sure what part of Texas that's in. Yeah, me neither. Let me look that up. It's a big-ass state, as we have discussed on this podcast previously. No, I don't know where it's located, but it is... uh, in Shiner, Texas. Shiner, Texas. I believe it is the biggest brewery in Texas, if if I am correct. I'm not counting, you know... um, know, Looks like it's it's in between Austin, San Antonio, Houston, so quite a ways away. All right, you're going to have to do... You're going to have a college football trip at some point, and I'm going to need you to go and, and give me a report... On Shiner yes. Brewing. But okay, enough talking about beer. We just do that to get the show started. Make sure we have a good beverage as we, this isn't a gimmick for every podcast we do for any first time listeners. We only do it for the instant analysis just to keep ourselves awake and give us a little bit of motivation to stay up and, and do these for you. But that's it. That's out of the way. Let's get into the NXT takeover in your house instant analysis. And the way we start is by going back over our pre-show expectations. And then we're going to break down the card, starting with the main event and basically working our way from most important to least important on the card. Now, my pre-show grade for NXT TakeOver, I always start high because I have extremely high expectations. I went with an A-, Chris went with a B+, and our audience, we put out a poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You guys came back 41.7% A, 48.6% B, 4.2% C, and 5.6% D to F. There's never been a D or an F takeover, so go to hell on that. Uh, that is 90.3% in the A and B range, which averages out to a B plus. So they were right 
with you on the expectation going in. And in retrospect, and I did say this, I believe, uh, on the ultimate preview that I did, I always just believe that TakeOver is going to blow my socks off, for lack of a better term. And even though this card was not extremely solid on paper, I figured it would over-deliver. So it was my mistake for going too high, I think, and we'll talk about our post-show grades later. Um, but nevertheless, I think our audience was right in line with us. Yeah, you you know TakeOver is going to be really good. It's just, is it going to get into that elite level or not? That's really right. the question every time. Right, exactly. Is it going to be elite? And we'll talk about that at the end of the show when we give our post-show grades and break down what our expectations were and what they ended up uh, being, what we what final grades we ended up giving. So, okay, let's get into the card. Now, before we get match by match, I want to talk about the aesthetics of In Your House, even though that word aesthetic is massively overused in the year of our Lord 2021. Uh, they gave us an opening video package that I thought was incredible. A lot of callbacks to the In Your House opening videos from back in the day. I respected the 90s vibes of the rap that we got from Naomi Fox. But other than that, it was extremely strange. Like she was either lip syncing or she was off on the track. It just, it was a weird way to start the pay-per-view. And then Todd Pettengill was the host the whole night. He was vintage, no pun intended for you or Michael Cole, but he was, he was vintage Todd Pettengill. He was exactly what you expect from him. I thought he was great in all of his appearances. He even played karate fighters with Dexter Loomis, which was an old in your house sponsor. So that was cool. I just wish that they did more throwback nostalgia stuff like they did last year with the Ico Pro commercials and some of that stuff. And they just kind of relied on Pettengill and they didn't really lean into the theme of the show that much, which to me was a bit of a disappointment because I love the gimmick of the pay-per-view. I don't know if you agree with me or not. Yeah, and, and there's there's a real difference, I think, when you're talking 90s, early and mid 90s and late 90s are like two different decades. Really. Totally. <laughs> but but this is definitely... Yeah mid early 90s right right before i started getting into wrestling so i don't have as much of a connection to it as you do although the first show i watched was in in, in your house um did you see love, in your, did you order in your house one the original no we, okay. we uh i don't remember which one it was but but it wasn't the first one but we had we also didn't order in the pay-per-views we had some illegal thing that we could get pay-per-view for free i hope no uh uh, cops are listening to this, but uh, <laughs> I thought it was. I thought Todd Pettigrew was really funny. I, I did. I wasn't as familiar with him, but I thought he had a lot of energy. Anytime he showed up on my screen, he was really into it. He was great. But you're right. There wasn't a lot of it outside of him, outside of the in, the intro video, which was very very good. Uh, trying to put in the the VHS later on and stuff like that. So there were bits and pieces that were good. But yeah, they probably could have gone in, uh, leaned into it a, a, a bit more. But but. You know, I, I thought it was generally pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that they did was good. It just it felt like there could have been more. Look, this show was only two hours and 20 minutes. Like that was it. And that included the backstage segments. And there was a post show angle that we'll talk about in a moment and some other things that happened. So that's not even though there was a plenty of wrestling on the show and no match felt like it was short or anything like that. That's pretty small for a special event. So they could have inserted a lot more of those things or run angles to promote the TV show on Tuesday. It just didn't really feel like as cohesive of a takeover as we normally get. But we'll get to that at the end of the show when we break down the entire program. We'll give our grades and all that type of stuff. Let's get into the main event. Uh, the NXT Championship was on the line in a fatal five-way match for the first time in history. 
We had Karrion Cross defending the title against Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and Johnny Gargano. Now, I will tell you that for most of these matches on this card, I seriously trimmed down like my match breakdowns, but this is not one that I could do that because so much shit happened that no matter what I trimmed, it still was too long. So I'm going to break it down best I can. I'll try to give you the, the big highlights, and then we'll talk about it afterward. So Gargano wore some really awesome gear that called back to Shawn Michaels' famous red leather mirror jacket that he used to wear back in the day. And he also had the Magneto logo, logo inverted into a W for the way. So I thought that was really cool. Gargano and Dunn drove Cross through the front door of the set early in the match. Cross came back and destroyed all four guys outside, killing Gargano with the spinebuster into the ring apron. He yeeted Dunn over the barricade. The crowd really popped for that. Then he hit Gargano with a spinning F10 for a near fall. Gargano fought back with a cannonball off the steel steps, a tope suicida, and a tope tornado DDT for a near fall on Cole. Uh, and that was after an inverted pile driver. Cross came back and cleared house, giving up an up yours gesture, like, a, you know, the, the arm, the forearm over the elbow. Uh, and I thought that was interesting because I don't know who exactly he was doing it to. Cole and O'Reilly finally worked together to double powerbomb Cross off the ring apron into the announce table, which did not break. And that was the theme of the night. There was a ladder that didn't break and this announce table didn't break, but it was still a great spot. Cole and Gargano hit Dunn with a double super kick on a moonsault. Gargano nailed Cole with one final beat, but he still kicked out at 2.8. So Gargano did a double Gargano escape until O'Reilly finally broke it. Cole pushed O'Reilly off the top rope while he was going for a finisher and hit Gargano with Panama Sunrise. Dunn pulled Cole out of the ring with a brain buster outside. And then Cross came back to life and went one-on-one -on -one for a moment with Dunn. They traded suplexes and Dunn actually hit him with his bitter end finisher. But Cross kicked out at two flat, which I didn't appreciate the somewhat no-sell of that. Cross hit a double sight to a suplex on Cole and Dunn, then his forearm finisher to knock out Cole. He put the cross jacket on Dunn, but Dunn broke it by snapping Cross's fingers. Gargano hit one final beat on Dunn, but took a cross jacket until Cole hit Cross with the last shot from behind. O'Reilly came back with his flying knee finisher onto the back of Cross's neck, but Cole super kicked the fall. O'Reilly then countered last shot into a double heel hook submission finisher, but Cross put him in the cross jacket simultaneously. O'Reilly passed out, releasing Cole and allowing Cross to retain the title. And after the match, all four challengers stared at Cross in disbelief as he celebrated in the middle of the ring with Scarlett. <sighs> okay. So that was... By the way, that, that match was only 26 minutes. It felt I know. like a 45 minute minutes of match. shit. I know. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was absolutely nonstop insane. I needed to take a breath there after that. And again, <laughs> that was me cutting out half of the match, just to be clear. Uh, but this was uh, an absolute certified banger. This thing was nonstop from the opening bell. And it was perfectly booked, in my opinion, with tons of callbacks and references, but without the over-reliance on false finishes that we get so often in NXT main events. Instead of false finishes, we got moments and instances where you thought a finish might come only for it to actually not happen. Gargano was the MVP of the match. No surprise there. It was pretty obvious, I thought, that Cross would retain over the final five minutes or so. But there's nothing inherently wrong with that, even though it's clear that NXT fans want a change and do not want this guy as champion. We talked on the Ultimate Preview and also in our live audio we did on Twitter Spaces before the show that there was only two finishes to this match that were possible. One was Kyle O'Reilly winning the title. The other was Cross 
retaining the title. And that's basically the story they gave us in the final couple of moments, obviously without the lack of title, without the title change. So they had Cross be the one who retained the title. O'Reilly sold the hell out of the finish. He foamed at the mouth. His eyes rolled into the back of his head. It was fantastic work by him. The fans booed, but Cross is a heel. So even though they were booing not just Cross, but also the booking, it still came across, I think, okay. But overall, you ignore the fan element. This match, I thought, was a huge success. And I think it really stands up to the takeover level of what you expect from a main event. So I am going with 4.5 stars and an A. Yeah, that that was a great main event. Everybody got a, a chance to shine. Once they started breaking out some of the crazy moves, the crowd really woke up, and I'm sure we'll get deeper into the crowd at some point in the <laughs> show. But 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 what crowd? the mood the mood of the match really changed after that, and everything felt bigger uh, when when there was like that snap suplex uh, with the super kick on it, and, mm-hmm. and uh, someone I forget who was broken up. Uh, that's when everything kind of got to another level. As it went on. Yeah, the longer it went, the the more you felt okay. Cross is probably going to retain, and that's not a problem. But but I, I think nobody comes out of this match looking bad. Even Kyle O'Reilly, in losing, I mean, Wade Barrett even made the point on commentary when he said O'Reilly was so focused on his hatred for Cole that he wouldn't let go, and that's what cost him the match. And like that's exactly how you're supposed to tell that story. Yeah, and, and 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 that's how everybody comes out of this looking uh, pretty good. The the one thing. I noticed with this finish that I think is happening a lot in WWE and it's, it's making me really strongly form the opinion that I hate submissions I know. ending matches. And I hate oh, that I didn't it's think a, you were going well, there. Okay. It, well, no, go sub- for it. Keep saying In yeah. general, but also guys going unconscious and losing the match. It's happening right. all the time because it's happening the same thing with Roman Reigns. And I get when it's a heel, it's not supposed to be a finish you like, so to speak. But man, I feel like we're just getting so few WWE main events where there's a big finishing move and you have the one, two, three, and like there's there's a rush of emotion when that three count happens. I feel like it's it's happening too much across WWE. You make a great point, but you know what? It's actually not just WWE because that's how Mox beat Eddie Kingston. It's how Pac has won multiple matches due to submission. And I believe there's a couple others in AEW who have done it as well. But yes, you're right. In WWE, Roman Reigns, a ton of matches. Uh, carrying cross it's happened and and with other in other similarly big moments they've gone with the pass out and it's rough um i don't mind submissions ending matches but there's something when you get the tap out whether it's audible from someone hitting the mat a couple times and then the referee runs and rings the bell or it's the visual of someone tapping the other person's wrist and you see that they actually gave up it, it takes something away from that person. It's an actual loss. With yeah. the pass out finish, you're, it's an excuse. It's almost exactly. a 50-50 booking. It's like, well, they didn't actually really lose because they didn't tap out. No, they lost, but you gave us a finish that had as little potential emotion to it as possible. It's one thing to do a submission finish. It's one thing to do a tap on the forearm or on the wrist or something. It's quite another to have a guy just pass out and go to sleep. And Bobby Lashley and McIntyre is another one. There, there you go. That. You're 100 with We've the hurt. We've got a lot from Lashley too. Yep. Yep. With the hurt lock. You're 100 right. all, so, all three champions, all three WWE men's champions. It's it's how they're finishing matches. Now, to be fair, Reigns has recently since won many with pinfalls instead, but he did do it to Daniel Bryan, 
and I believe at, at WrestleMania he did a double pinfall, so yep. that was different. Yeah. But you, no, yep. you're right, and it's all happened recently too. So it's a total over reliance on it. They don't even do, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, where you raise the arm and drop it three times, and, and yes. there's reasons. There's reasons I'm, they don't do it. There are a couple of reasons. One is they don't do that in MMA, right? So they want it to be a little bit more realistic. But two, with concussion concerns and loss of oxygen to the brain, the idea of raising and dropping an arm three times probably isn't the best look, right? Even though it's kayfabe. So I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I don't like it. We're kicking guys in the head all day. I think it's okay if you raise his arm for three seconds. I think so too. I'm, I'm totally fine <laughs> with going back to that. But yeah. you make the great point though, which is it's anticlimactic. It's basically as anticlimactic as you can get in a for a finish. And yeah. that match, despite it being a fine finish, I'm not, I'm not really complaining about the booking. To your point, it deserved a more more of a climax in the finish. Right. Hey, now you, you wanted, you wanted a, a match of that caliber. You just wanted like a, a moment at the end and they just, it just, not that it ends with a whimper, but it just kind of, no, it does ends. And, and it's just like, oh, okay. Okay. It and, ends and, with and a whimper. It's, and it's yeah. the opposite of what we got from the women's match, which ended yeah. with a bang, even though, you know, we'll talk about who won and whether people like that or not. But I also want to say one more thing here. Uh, it's pretty shitty that people act. When I say people, the only people we can, you know, hear the opinions of right now is the IWC, so Twitter and Reddit and stuff. <laughs> but people acting as if that match only featured four guys. Yeah. That four guys in that match had a great match and Karrion Cross was just there. That's bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Cross was great in that match. And he was great in the Finn Balor matches as well. He's just a different type of wrestler. Yes, he's not a technician. He's not going to go in there and give you a work rate match. But when he works with guys like that, it's not just them making him look good. It's him selling. I know he doesn't sell to the degree people want, but the way he sells, the, the shots he's taken, the ability he has, the strength he has to throw those guys the way he does and, for, and giving them the opportunity to sell for him, that all works together. I am no carrying cross fan in NXT. I think he should be on the main roster. Not a question about it. But to act like that was a four-person match and Karrion Cross got carried to an A match, it's bullshit. That guy worked his ass off. It was a really good match, and he was one-fifth of it. And he deserves maybe not an exact one-fifth credit, but a sixth. Like you're gonna you're gonna diminish like a little bit off of him uh, and maybe give it to Gargano because he was the MVP. But man, that guy worked his ass off and it was a good match and it was a great match because he was part of it. He was part of it. Could it have been just as great, if not greater without him? Maybe. But he was there and the product we got was very good. You need different types of guys in situations. If it's all the same, same build, same stature guys going for it, they start to all do the same things. You you want to see a variety of things. And I think they played off of Cross very well. He played off of them very well. I know that creates the narrative among fans that, oh, Finn Balor carried him to a great match or a five-way hit to hit him is wrestling. But no, there's just, there, like you said, there's different kinds of wrestling and it's okay that they're in the same match. And it worked really well together in this match. And I think he deserves credit for the performance he had as well. I just think it's so funny where like Cody went to New Japan at, at some point and I think he had a really good match with Tanahashi and I could be wrong. Maybe it was a Bushi. I'm forgetting. Um, but people were like, oh, they carried him to that. It was like, well, no, Cody played a part in it 
And it was one of Cody's best matches. It's the same thing here. Karrion Cross played a part in this, and it was his best match in WWE to this point. Yeah. He's had really good it, ones with Finn Balor. This was his best because he yeah. was part of it. This isn't a celebrity appearance. This isn't right. Eva Marie he wasn't in NXT. <laughs> it's like he's a veteran. He's a yeah. veteran wrestler. Yeah. The guy knows what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. put some respect For on sure. this guy. Like, I don't even. I'm not a fan of Karrion Cross, but put some respect on his name. Straight up, just put put respect on this guy's name. Also, yep. before we get out of here, I mentioned Gargano's gear earlier. The HBK, incredible. He's always great. Did you notice Adam Cole's gear? I, I was okay. So I, I wrote this down. I don't know if. You go first, because I'm not sure if what I'm going to say is relevant to what you're saying, but I did write down some notes about how he looked. Okay, you can talk about how he looked. He had green gear, green tights with gold. And most of the match, I just kind of ignored it. Like, I wasn't really thinking about it. And then, candidly, there was a shot of his ass, like, near the end of the match. And it showed the logo. And the logo was Bebe, right? like his phrase. But it was the money in the bank briefcase style. So I don't know hmm. if that's a huge hint or it's a hmm. tease or it's a, a complete something to screw fans up and just, you know, give them either hope or, or expectation and not deliver. I don't know. But to me, that seemed like a little bit of a hint that this guy may wind up in the Money in the Bank match in about one month's time. Very possible that that's a good catch by you or whoever caught it for sure. Uh, what I wrote down was not that. Uh, one, he looked he looks weird without an elbow pad or anything on his. I think it was his right arm. Normally, he used to have the the undisputed era armband on there, mm-hmm. but without it, because he's a pretty skinny guy, you kind of need some stuff to break up the space. And it just it looked weird <laughs> the, to me. The pale whiteness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the other part, he, it looked like he had a front tan but not a back tan. Uh, I and can't I, speak I, I don't know if he just sprayed himself. Yeah. But there were some shots where he'd flip from front to back, and it looked like. Two different people. And also the shorts, because he was so pale in certain spots, the gold sometimes blended into his skin color. And you talked about seeing his ass. That was just, it was. Well, I was just saying that's where the logo was. I was joking. Right. But I'm just, it was in my head that you had to catch myself figuring out exactly what he was wearing because I don't know. It was just, he, 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 I think he needed to be tanner, I guess. That's fine. Parts of his body. Just just a weird, uh, look. It's a body sport, you know, this, these things matter. And this, these things just stuck out to me on the way he looked compared to, I guess, the last time I really paid attention to him. No, that's fine. So let's talk. There was also a post-match angle. Uh, NXT showed Gargano and O'Reilly going after each other in the parking lot before the match. And then it showed Cross and Dunn being held apart in the locker room during the show. I should have said before the show on the first bit there. Uh, there was another moment where the women brawled after the women's main event that we're going to talk about in a moment. And William Regal couldn't control any of these people. So at the end of the event, which again, only went 220, Regal walked into the parking lot and said, he's been general manager of NXT for seven years, and he's never seen Bedlam like this. So it might be time for a change. And people were talking about this just as much, maybe even more than they were actually talking about the main event, because William Regal has been the best authority figure in wrestling for the last seven years, legitimately. Him as GM of NXT has been absolutely incredible. Now, we did talk about this on the Ultimate Preview because it happened on NXT where he was getting frustrated. I believe they showed that happening the week prior, and there may have been hints of it even further before that. Now, we also got a DM slide here. From Jordan Blaney at jblaney21. 
And he said, is there any chance that NXT may be bringing in Samoa Joe as the new general manager? And the reason why Jordan asks that is because there was a report that Samoa Joe was at the WWE Performance Center this week, that some wrestler saw him there, despite the fact that, you know, he was fired by WWE a couple weeks ago. Um, and the truth is, as I said on the Ultimate Preview, if you were ever going to remove William Regal as GM of NXT, I have no idea who you could put in his place. But the one person who could truly step in, have the gravitas and the respect of being an NXT you know, superstar in the past, and someone who would be absolutely fantastic in that role, or in a role as an enforcer or something like that, would indeed be Samoa Joe. Now, I did see a lot of people who expected, because of this report that came out, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, Joe to interrupt at the end of the main event and attack Cross from behind and set up a new feud you know, between them. I don't know whether that's going to happen. If you were upset because that didn't happen at the end of the show, that's your own fault for kind of setting that expectation <laughs> based on a single report that was done by, you know, a, and it was a reputable people. It was fightful. They're reputable. They do a really good job reporting, but they didn't report an angle. They just said, hey, we saw Samojo. Wrestlers saw Samojo at the PC. And there's talk that they're trying to bring him back to WWE in, in an NXT role. So if you go into a show expecting something to happen and it doesn't happen in terms of a surprise or a debut or something like that, and you're disappointed or upset because it didn't happen, then you really only have yourself to blame. So this is why I avoid the dirt sheets because I don't want to build something up in my course. head and then be let down or get or get actual spoilers if it actually happens. Right, right. So that's all I was going to say. And I just I saw people talking about it. The William Regal thing, though, was extremely interesting to me. And I kind of did, you know, quote unquote, call it a couple of weeks ago. I am curious to see now where it plays out and if there's a new GM or if it's Regal taking action to calm down the locker room. I'm just really curious of what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, saying maybe it's time for a change makes me really think that somebody else is going to be in this role. Right. Uh, Samoa Joe would be great. You know, we, we, we don't know all the details around his um, uh, his his firing a couple a month or so back. But we wondered, is he being paid like a wrestler and they don't want to pay him that much? And if they were going to pay him as a commentator or something else, would that be a different salary? I don't know. But that would fit. And yeah, William Regal has been the the ideal authority figure that you want in wrestling. A guy who's going to just keep things in order and keep everything just running right. You know, as opposed to getting to a show and you don't know what's happening. You don't need an authority figure who's always going to be a Vince McMahon. WWE leaned on that forever. And I think the success of William Regal has carried over into places like Raw where you have an Adam Pierce and 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 you've had a lot of down the middle authority figures. So uh, if it's the end, it was a hell of a run for Regal. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, the reason people are talking about it more about that than the actual match after the show is because every time NXT ends, we wait for the next angle. We're so used to Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens thing. There, there's just always going to be something that happens after the credits. We're always waiting for it. And because we don't know where Karrion Cross goes now, because he's beaten literally everybody, uh, yeah, we're going to turn to this clear angle they're starting to build up with Regal, whatever that is. So what's interesting, I should note, you may be surprised. William Regal is only 53. 
So he's not retiring. Really? Yeah. He's only, I know. Shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought he was God. in the 60s. I thought he was in the 60s. He's only, <laughs> so he's only 53 years old, and he retired uh, eight years ago at 45. And that was that's just when he had his last match. So wait, st- st- wait, Sting is older than him. Sting is. Oh, yeah. Well, of course he is. Yeah. Well, Sting is still wrestling. <laughs> no, of course. Yes, yes. But so William Regal did have a health scare uh, during the pandemic in the last year. I don't think it was COVID related, but where he was gone for a while. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, knock on wood, that this is not related to that in any way. I hope it's more of a storyline than anything else. But it is interesting that at 53, you know, maybe he's taking a step back. Maybe they're going to bring him over to NXT UK and put him in a role over there if he wants to go back to England, although I think he's, uh, even though he's from Wolverhampton, I believe he's lived the vast majority of his, the latter part of his life in the United States. So, you know, I don't know what's really behind it, but certainly I hope it's all good and I I wish him the best. And I'll tell you this, it's an intriguing angle that I was going to watch, I'm going to watch NXT on Tuesday anyway. But if I wasn't, and I'm just a takeover viewer, I might tune in and check out and and see what the hell's going to happen with William Regal. So I think it works in that regard. Yeah, let's move on. We got four more matches to talk about. We'll go next to the NXT Women's Championship, Raquel Gonzalez against Ember Moon. Dakota Kai accompanied Gonzalez to the ring, so the champion got that advantage and dominated early. She had a bunch of great moves, like a one-arm sidewalk slam and a twisting Vader bomb, which, by the way, could be someone's finisher. Like it was an awesome-looking move. Moon went on a run with a code red and a basement face buster. Kai interfered in two near falls, and Moon kicked out after a superplex. Moon then countered the. Ching Noah powerbomb, then kicked out after a boot from Gonzalez. Moon hit a modified eclipse as a counter, plus a fine code breaker and a real eclipse. But Kai expertly put Gonzalez's foot on the bottom rope to break the count. I thought it was one of the best foot placements without the referee yes. seeing that I've ever legitimately yes. ever seen. Yeah, and it was so fast too. It was really well done. I'm glad you know. I wrote that down. I'm glad you noticed that because that was really. It's like a little thing, but like you could totally understand how a ref would miss that. It was almost like she had her foot on a string and like put it on. <laughs> yeah. It was just. It was perfect. It was. Yeah. It was maybe like I, this is silly to say, right? Because there were awesome moves throughout the entire show, but from a pure like basics of wrestling standpoint, it was one of the <laughs> best individual things that was done on the whole show. It was really, really, really good. Anyway, Shotzi Blackheart finally ran in to take out Kai and clear the way for Moon to hit an eclipse on Gonzalez onto the stage. However, by the time they finally got back in the ring when Gonzalez got rolled in, she kicked out. Moon went for a third eclipse, but Gonzalez countered into Snake Eyes and then a spinning Chingona powerbomb for the one, two, three. And if my pronunciation of that move is wrong, I am sure you guys will tell me. It's a word I've never said before in my entire life. This was refreshing. It's a, it's, for it's a move. It's a move that needs a name, uh, like a finisher name. We talked about this a lot. No, that is the name. That that's the name. No, but it, but is that what they're calling? But no, that's I mean, her, like that's for what her she's though. calling it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we were. Yeah. Oh, okay. So is that new? Because I thought before we didn't have a name for it. We didn't, and I was I was criticizing it. I've been criticizing it for like four yeah. months, uh, yeah. maybe longer. And Wade Barrett said it on the replay that that's what it is. It okay. Means, okay. Oh, it means badass th- woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. oh, yeah. well, it's new. Okay, good to know. Good, to right? Know. So now that's why I'm botching know. it because I don't even know. I don't even. I don't know if he said it right. I don't know if I'm saying it right. So whatever. Uh, the point is, I'm happy to say the move name <laughs> because they actually got one, and I've been waiting for four months. But anyway, this was refreshing for me because it came after the first three matches on the show for me 
all disappointed in one way or another. That doesn't mean they were bad, but in one way or another, they disappointed me. Some may not like this match as much as I did, but I loved how strong Moon looked in the loss. There were plenty of excuses for her not to get the job done, yet Gonzalez ultimately still got to win on her own in the end. This was very good from top to bottom. Both of these women, Gonzalez and Moon, are vastly underrated. Now, Moon is an exceptional top-tier women's wrestler. Gonzalez is a second or third tier, let's say. But still, for their respective spots, they're both underrated. I'm going to go with a flat four stars and an A- minus for this match. Yeah, this was just really solid, well-done match. Both of them look good. Ember got a lot in. You know, we we talked in the Twitter spaces beforehand how this finish was really uh, telegraphed considering kind of how it was in the go-home, but that's okay. And if you have a match like this where, you know, Ember could have won if it wasn't for, you know, someone putting Raquel Gonzalez's leg up, you know, she has a case. Shouldn't look bad coming out of a loss like that. So I think this is exactly what it needed to be. And both of them should be very proud of, of the match. It was really well done. For sure. Let's move on to the million dollar championship ladder match between Cameron Grimes and L.A. Knight. Million dollar man Ted DiBiase was ringside and the championship was in a glass case elevated above the ring. Grimes delivered a German suplex into a propped up ladder. Knight then hit a neck breaker with the ladder folded like vertically on its side. Both were great spots. Grimes eventually got the big gold ladder at the entrance. He got hung up on the ropes, but hit the Spanish crossbody on Knight, which is one of my favorite moves. That needs a name as well. Grimes jumped from a ladder to the scaffolding next to the announce table and splashed Knight off of it. Then he got pulled off a ladder and did a full Shawn Michaels callback by flipping Knight over the ropes and then flipping himself back the other way. It's really Mm -hmm. cool that all these guys are showing respect to Shawn during takeovers. That's so cool. Uh, They had set up a ladder on the ramp with another between its rungs and the ropes. So when Grimes climbed back up the ladder in the ring, Knight dumped the ladder backwards him into the one horizontal that did not break and LA Knight won the match and the million dollar championship to booze. The million dollar man awarded him the title after the match and he laughed as Pyro went off. So this was the third match on the card and the first time that the crowd showed any signs of life during yeah. the takeover. Yeah. Except it never really maintained its noise level either in this match or really any match, I think, except for the women's match. They were pretty consistent in that match. And the finish was almost dead silent. This was absolutely the wrong booking. As I said on the <laughs> Ultimate Preview, I don't care. This has nothing to do with me not liking LA Knight. But giving Knight a millionaire gimmick dampens Grimes' crypto nuevo rich shtick that he's doing. And the crowd was truly ready to lose it for a Grimes win. So it was just a big like womp womp in the climax, both in kayfabe and for me in reality. Knight showed some skill. I saw people say it was the best match of his career, not just NXT, his career. I don't know if that's true because I'm not that familiar with Eli Drake over an impact. Personally, still not a fan of the guy. Grimes absolutely (laughs) bumped his ass off. The match was entertaining with a lot of great ladder spots. There's been far better and far worse ladder matches, but this one could not compare to the best that we've seen so far in NXT. So I'm going to go with 3.75 and a B plus. And that's really out of respect for the effort and a lot of the bumps that these guys took. 
So for the listeners, we don't um, we don't communicate during the show because we want to save our thoughts right. for the, for the post show. <laughs> Use an analysis. Except when LA Night won, <laughs> I texted Adam a gif of the million dollar man laughing because I know how much he hates LA Night. And I just had to point that out. I I I said this on our pre-show Twitter Spaces thing, but the million dollar belt is a heel gimmick. And it like it it, it makes sense that the heel wins it. Now I think it's perfectly possible that this feud keeps going and Grimes does win it at the next takeover or whatever we want whatever you want to do. Um but I was fine with this booking because I just I think it fits and and i said if if la knight doesn't win this then perhaps they don't really know what to do with him so i i I think i don't think grimes is hurt by this i imagine you know it could keep going i thought this this match was better than i expected i mean i i expected Cameron grimes to do a lot of cool stuff but i didn't expect a lot out of la knight and he like carrying cross held his own perfectly fine in this so i i enjoyed that the one thing about the final being anticlimactic um ladder matches kind of often are because there's kind of you're pausing and waiting for something to happen but the other thing is the fact that he had to pull down the the box that had the belt in it yeah it's the same thing when you have to pull out a briefcase you got to like unhook it and lift it up and it takes a second and it took him a second or two to finally get it so you're kind of just waiting for that it's so much different than when you're pulling down a belt and you can just pull down the strap it's again it's like a quick climactic finish I, I assume they put it in the box because it's the real jeweled belt. Yeah, I feel like you could have just used I feel like you could have just used a fake one and <laughs> put a real belt out there. And we've been OK, as long as you don't drop it or something. Um, but I, I like this and I, I'm, I'm excited to see what L.A. Knight does with it because I enjoy him mostly on the mic, but I enjoy him. And I, I know you don't. I know a lot of people don't, but that's it's, it's another thing on Tuesday that I'm going to actually probably tune in. Because I want to see what uh, what's going to happen with this belt now. I should note that NXT is promoting that William Regal looks to bring change to NXT for Tuesday's show. So they are promoting it as a specific mm. angle. Uh, but going back to this, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily care. I don't think it hurts Grimes as a wrestler. I don't think it hurts the strength of his character of his character. I think it hurts his gimmick that there's now another guy doing a rich person gimmick. On the same show. Now, they could change this title at Great American Bash, which is the next special that they announced on July 6th, but that's going to be in front of fewer fans. They could do it potentially at the next TakeOver, or they never change the title. But I thought with Grimes winning the title, it had reason to exist. With LA Knight having the title, it just seems like another thing to add to this guy who's just not getting over. Or at least for a lot of people, he's not getting over. So... I thought it was the wrong booking. I don't, but it was a great match. And the finish, the the person who won didn't diminish the quality of the match that we certainly need to respect. But I will say, on a night with five matches, the fact that only one face went over on the entire show with 300 to 350 people in attendance, it's just mm-hmm. like WrestleMania, where WrestleMania was really, really good, but they sacrificed a lot of potential pops for really no reason on shows where you normally have faces win. But again, on this show, faces actually went one in three because there was a match that didn't have any faces in it. 
that's another story for another day. Let's move on. We got two matches left. We got to rock these. We have the North American and Tag Team Championships on the line in a six-man tag team winner-take-all match. The champions, Bronson Reed and MSK, defending against Legato Del Fantasma. There was a great assisted elevated senton spot with Reed early, and then all six guys did topes with Reed hitting a suicida. Reed nailed a double Samoan drop, but Santos Escobar tagged in for a ridiculous Mishinoku driver on Reed that looked like something yeah. impossible. Like, yeah. I had no idea how he did it, but he did it. Um, it was actually the spot of the match and probably up until the main event, a top two or three spot on the show otherwise. Legato hit their Russian leg sweep finisher on Nash Carter, but Wesley broke the fall with the Tope Cannonball into the ring. Escobar grabbed the North American title, but when he turned around, Reed annihilated him with a splash through the hockey glass and the fence and the barricade. He murdered Santos Escobar, 1984 to 2021, age 37, rest in peace. Uh, Lee did a springboard double stomp on the outside and the faces combined with MSK's elevated neckbreaker plus the tsunami for the win over Legato. This I thought was a perfect opener and the right call for that spot in the show, but it didn't deliver exactly the way I expected because I thought this could have been a show stealer. Perhaps they had him tone it down a little bit because it was first on the card, but a couple of the spots felt really choreographed in the way I usually criticize AEW. Uh, especially the Lucha Bros or the Young Bucks. It felt similar to that in certain moments. It wasn't as good as MSK's tag team match with Legato that we got on TV two weeks ago. I thought that should have been on this takeover. But it does set up Reed and Escobar to go one-on-one, which is a good thing. And ultimately, the right team won here. So I'm giving it 3.5 stars and a solid B. But it was nothing exceptional. Yeah, it was fine. I I thought the finish was really good. You know, this was the match... They gave you the climactic, energetic finish. You got, like you said, blowing him through the barricade, and then you got the the, the tag team moves in the splash to win it. That was that was a fun, exciting finish. Definitely should have been the first one on the card. NXT is great with these tag team matches that open up the show, but it also didn't get the crowd as excited as I uh, thought they would. Um, I, I I wouldn't really put that on the performance. Crowd I was dead. The match was perfectly solid. Yeah. Crowd was dead. Do we want to talk about the crowd? Do we want to talk about it at the end? No, we'll talk about that in our final grade. We'll uh, yeah, we'll break that. So down. no, this was solid and and, and what, what needed to be, it, it was a correct result. Made sense for everything involved, and yeah, nothing super special, but it, it was what it needed to be. And then the second match on the show, but the last one we're going to talk about: Mercedes Martinez against Zaya Lee. The crowd was dead for both of their entrances. Zaya looked phenomenal in her new blue gear. Martinez avoided a kick and Lee nailed the ring post, selling her right leg for the rest of the match. She had a butterfly suplex and Zaya came back with a pump handle suplex. Martinez nailed the cliffhanger, which is like a razor's edge face buster. And Boa stood there uh, between them outside the ring. But Martinez shoved him aside and then back body dropped Zaya. Back in the ring, Zaya escaped the air raid crash and countered with Trouble in Paradise for what was the biggest win of her career. Now we'll talk about the post-match after we break down the match. But as far as the match goes, It was not great, not bad. The fans did not care. And I fully understand because as I said numerous times, every time we talked about this match, it was not a takeover level match and it was not a takeover level booking. I have no idea why this was on the show. Also, there was no baby face in the match. So NXT (laughs) actively did not give the fans anyone to cheer for. This was probably the least exciting takeover match we've had in years. 
And I'm talking about coming into it, not just the match itself. So it's about like a 2.5. I'll give it a C because there were some decent moments and nothing was bad. Both women wrestled hard and Xia Li looked really good in the finish. But to me, other than that, it was just completely unspectacular. And and again, just didn't belong on the card at all. Yeah, I mean, I like I I don't follow NXT every week, so I didn't know the whole story coming in, but um it didn't seem like there was a ton there other than something from four years ago mostly. I, I thought That's the all match it was. was That's all it was. Yeah. I thought the match was pretty brutal for only being seven minutes. I mean, it was pretty physical in there and they kind of beat the crap out of each other for a bit. The 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 kick on the finish didn't seem to quite connect, so they went with the camera angle from behind. But Martina sold the hell out of it. I mean, I had to see the replay again to be like, oh, wait, did she get her better better than I thought she did? So credit to Mercedes Martinez for, for selling the, the, the finish there. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of, yeah, whatever. And I'll talk about the post-match since, again, you don't really watch, like you said, the, the day-to-day or week-to-week storylines. So after the match, Zaya tried to use a steel chair for really no reason. But Martinez grabbed it, beat her with it, beat Boa with it. Then Mi Ying, who's the leader of Tian Shaw, dropped the lights and gripped Martinez's throat twice, eventually throwing her off the stage into the hockey glass. And granted, it was a brutal, cool-looking spot. But the crowd didn't respond to anything that happened. And Tian Shaw, at this point, may be completely dead in the water if that's how NXT is going to react and show a lack of interest during a takeover when the leader finally does something physical. I've liked it to this point, and I know we, we interviewed Shawn Michaels on this podcast. He told us it was his favorite thing in NXT, and he thought it had the highest ceiling. But man, right now, it seems like a whole lot of nothing. And if Xia Li is not going to really get over in her match, and Tian Sha and uh, Ming Ying is not going to get over in the post-match, and Bo is still not going to do anything, then I don't know where this goes. I'm okay with it on my TV. I hope it doesn't become spooky like Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. But it just, to me... The, the crowd was dead in the match. And then to do a post-match for that and have it still be dead, it was just silent. Like it was quieter during this show or during this match on this show than it is for some TV tapings. And I know that's because WWE pumps in some crowd noise, but to go from pumping in crowd noise on TV to expecting 300 to 350 people to be loud, but have them not be loud, that's just not really a good look. So it didn't help the show and it didn't help this match or the post-match. So let's just move into it, Chris. Wait, wait, wait. One, one thing real Go quick. They pumped in artificial noise at the very end of it after Martinez got thrown into the thing and she was laying there. If you can go back and look, I'm 99% sure because it caught me. I was like, wait, why does it sound like there's a, son, a lot of noise going on when there just wasn't? I'm 99% sure at the end, as they were standing tall after throwing Martinez into the thing, I'm 99% sure they were pumping in artificial crowd noise, at least into the broadcast hmm. uh, at the end of it to maybe make it seem like it got a bigger reaction than it did. Because, yeah, it didn't get nothing. Yeah, it got nothing. I didn't notice that. But, okay, let's let's get into the final grades here for NXT TakeOver in your house. Now, again, just a reminder, coming in, I had an A- minus as my expectation. Chris had a B plus, And we're going to say, based on the pre-show poll, the fans were at a B plus In our post-show poll... The fans came in with 27% A, 55% B. That's 82% for A or B. And that is down, let me do some quick math, from 90.3%. So that's a full 8% drop out of A and B. 15% said C and 3% said D or F. Again, 
This was not a D show. It was not an F show. We can throw those away. But I do think if you gave the show a C, you're within your right, because I can definitely see why people may have thought it was completely average, despite that main event really rocking the house. Uh, but Chris, you always I always let you go first here at the end, giving the final grade. Again, I'll say 27% A, 55% B, 15% C. What say you? What is your final grade for NXT TakeOver in your house? I came in with the expectations of a B plus, and I think I leave with a B plus. Maybe a B. I, the, the main event really delivered in a way that it needed to, and that that's, I think, what kept it at a B plus for me uh, overall. That's fair. I'm coming in uh, again, A minus, and I'm leaving with a B. So that's two grades lower than I initially thought it would. And again, I think that's because I thought the show would over deliver and I gave them credit where maybe they didn't deserve it because the card was not strong coming in. And I should have recognized that and given my pre-grade appropriately, but it was a B show. The truth is before you got to the final two matches, it was in the C range. It was probably a Mm -hmm. C plus or something like that, because look, the ladder match was really good. Don't get me wrong, but the, the crowd, this entire show was just absolutely horrendous. And yeah, they popped in certain moments during the final two matches. They did, and they deserve credit for that. But for the vast majority of the show, the vast majority of the moments of the show, they were terrible. And and I don't know that over the first three matches, again, there were spots in the ladder match, but NXT didn't really give them a great reason to be extremely energetic and excited. Apparently it rained before the show. Apparently some people were stuck outside in the rain, so that may have dampened excitement or energy coming in. I don't know whether any of that is true, but none of that's really an excuse. And also that doesn't really affect the matches and it doesn't affect the grade, but it does affect the overall atmosphere. So I was disappointed with the atmosphere of the Capitol Wrestling Center. We talked during our live show earlier today, and I've said previously that Triple H doesn't make it sound like they're going back to full sale anytime soon. Uh, So that's not great if that's accurate, but we'll find out. Uh, But the CWC is not a good venue for a two-hour live weekly TV show on cable, and it is not a good venue for TakeOver. So even if they keep doing TakeOvers in Orlando for a period of time, they got to find somewhere else to do it because the CWC ain't the place. This show was good, not great. Like I said, I had a a C plus or in the C range going into the final two matches. But straight up, I gave the women's match, you know, what, four stars and the main event a 4.5. That's going to bring your grade up. It's a B. It was a good takeover. It was probably the quote unquote worst takeover since last year's takeover in your house, which actually was not that great. So two in a row takeover in your house, a little bit of a womp womp to kind of uh, end what we expect to end the pandemic era of NXT, at least from a takeover perspective. So, so so on the crowd, I, I was thinking about this and, and various reasons it could be. And I don't know if these are true or not, but I'm just thinking about the Capital Wrestling Center compared to a normal uh, arena for this. For one, they're still behind the barriers. They have the glass up. They have the they have the, the fencing cage up. I'm curious what the what the feeling was inside of there, if they felt like they were distant from the wrestling they were watching because of various obstructions. Um it looked like they required everybody to have a mask in there, at least from every single crowd shot I saw, uh, which credit for being safe, I, I think is definitely important, but I'm sure that's going to play a role in the crowd as well. 
And the other was, we haven't... Re- the, the NXT, more than I think any other promotion, even AEW, the relationship between the crowd and the wrestlers is everything. It, it's, it's what drives everything. And, and the crowds, NXT crowds have not been able to connect with the wrestler with their wrestlers in person yet. Most of the people on this card either debuted or didn't get much of a push until, you know, post shutdown of stuff. So there hasn't, they don't have chance for certain wrestlers. They don't have, uh, you know, different things they do for other people other than maybe an Adam Cole or a Johnny Gargano. So I, I'm curious if that played a role as well, because NXT crowds just, they, they have a connection with the wrestlers and they, they haven't been able to form that yet. I'm curious if they will more as time goes on. Uh, as well but yeah crowd was not good the first time i actually know i remember there was a big crowd was right at the beginning of the ladder match because the crowd got really into it for whatever reason i don't know if they just love the the people of the they love grimes they love they they were chanting they were chanting for grimes but they they there was a there was an la night counter chant as well they got really into it Uh, they were booing they booed the the shit out of night i mean uh kayfabe boo like they yeah yeah yeah. i'm just saying he he got reaction though and then the the final three matches kind of did but uh, yeah, not not definitely not the reaction overall. I I would have expected for a takeover. It almost had me missing like the like performance center trainees being there. Like I, I, the crowd wasn't good. It was it wasn't necessarily a Lafayette crowd, but it was a pretty bad crowd for an NXT takeover for that for that many people being in the performance center. And I'll say this: so I've been to that performance center a couple times. It is just not made for shooting television. It's a rectangular room. Uh, they usually have seven rings in it. Uh, one of them is padded or two of them are padded so they can do moves and shit. They had to move all that stuff out of there and they built a set because they had to. Go back to Full Sail, a place that's made for television that has lights and air and you you feel like when you're watching it, you can breathe. Doing an underground fight club grunge style presentation, it's fine when you can't have fans, they really did a good job making NXT look good for a period of time. But if you're allowing fans back, you got to get the hell out of the Capitol Wrestling Center. It's not conducive to taping a good television show. It is not Daly's Place, which is an open air amphitheater where even if you don't have people cheering, you see the depth and you realize that you're in a big venue that the show that you're watching is a big deal. This looked like it was an independent wrestling show. And it's WWE. I'm, I love that NXT takes things down a notch from what WWE does on Raw and SmackDown. It's great. But you can still take things down a notch and look good and professional and big. I'm not saying it didn't look professional, but there's a difference in the way the shows look at Full Sail compared to the Capitol Wrestling Center. They have to go back there for TV and takeovers need to be on the road at venues. And you got to give us better cards than this. And they have to go longer than two hours and 20 minutes. It just was not a top tier takeover. It was probably a bottom tier takeover. But the fact that a bottom tier takeover is still a B tells you everything you need to know about NXT takeover events. So thank you all for listening to this instant analysis of NXT takeover in your house. Here's what's coming up this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Tuesday, we will have a WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate preview, no rest for the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini. We're going from one special event into another. And on Tuesday's show, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will debut a new segment. It's been a long time since we've done it. 
but the Silver King has a good idea. I hope you all enjoy it. On Wednesday, we'll be back with an NXT recap, talking about all the fallout from TakeOver in your house. On Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, we will have WWE Hell in a Cell live go home show preview on Twitter spaces. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. More details on that throughout the week. And then on Sunday, after the show goes off the air, WWE Hell in a Cell instant analysis. And for those of you who listen to that breakdown and you're wondering, hey, where the hell is AEW? Well, AEW is running on a Saturday this week. So that really screws things up in my universe. We will talk AEW along with NXT the following Wednesday, and we'll figure things out from there. It's going to be very difficult to fit everything together, but plenty of shows coming up from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast next week. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget what this show is about and what you need to do. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. That means leaving a five-star rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts to let us know how much you love the show and to tell other people why they should subscribe and listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That's it. It is time for us to go. It's been a exceedingly long night. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. I'm going to see you on Tuesday with that WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. But for now, I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>